The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to swoutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. What's up, man? Morning. It's going so good. My name's John Rulo. Um, let's see. Been serving Jesus since I was about 19. I got saved at 19 and born and raised in San Diego. Found Jesus, immediately came out. Didn't know anything about Christianity. Went to Liberty University. It's actually where I met Zach. Uh, Zach Spencer, they were, they were like uh, the cool club, you know, and I was a younger classman, so I looked up to them and um, went to Living Word Baptist Church. I was a youth pastor there. I brought my students here to Snowbird for four years. It's where I met my wife here. We served on summer staff uh, one year, and then about 10 years ago, we left. We moved out to California. I was on a church out there. I planted a church out there, and then recently, God called me back on sabbatical. He's kind of laying that on, that on my heart for a while. I didn't know what a sabbatical meant, and I was like, wait a second. You want me to just go and have no job and, and just sit? And he was like, yeah. So... Uh, I'm a 43-year-old man with no job, and that's who they decided. Oh, and I'm living in my in-law's basement, and that's who they decided is going to speak to you this morning. So here I am. But it's been awesome. Um, you know, being back here in Andrews and being able to be a part of this community, we started uh, attending Red Oak, and, and we had already made a commitment even before we were here. We're like, hey, if we're going to be in Andrews, if Snowbird needs anything, we're there. Because it's such a special community and God is moving in this place in a powerful way. And, you know, we've made a commitment as a family and me as just a man that wherever God is working, I, I just want to be there and be involved. And, uh, and so today I want to I take a look at the relationship between Jonathan and David. And really what I want to focus on is brotherhood. There's a passage of scripture that I want to start off with in Proverbs 17, 17, and you've probably heard it before, and it says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Hey, join me as I open up in a word of prayer. Lord, uh, we're here because of you, and we love you, Jesus. God, I... I imagine there's some men in here that, um, that need friendship and brotherhood from you. And I pray that they would find that and find strength. And I believe there's men at home that need that. And so I pray that you would put a passion on our hearts, God, to be those men for other people that are desperately searching, not only for brotherhood, but ultimately searching for you. God, I pray that you would speak to me today and move me aside. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, wouldn't, wouldn't that be awesome, though, to find a friend that was there with you when adversity strikes? You know, to find a friend that was willing to um, serve you instead of use you? You know, to find somebody in your community that you could trust, that you could trust when you're struggling, that you can trust before the crash, that you can actually go to and say, hey, I'm struggling in my life and I don't want to go in this certain direction. And you actually had men that you could trust, that we could confess our sin to before the crash actually happened. I don't think that this is just a desire. I mean, this is a need. 
it was a need for me. I remember about five or six years ago, I've been serving in the ministry, and I had one of those terrible ministry situations. Do we have any pastors in the house? Anybody serving ministry? A few? Okay. I was in one of those situations in ministry where, you know, there was some, some sin in the church. And so a part of that, I didn't want to be a part of that, so I, I did my best to navigate through that, to call that out, to step away from that. And, you know, all of a sudden the rumor mills, you know, started to spin and the twists and all that. And next thing you know, I found myself walking in this community and going into coffee shops and seeing people that were my brothers, my friends, and they'd look at me and they'd turn and walk away. I remember going into this wedding one time and there was about 100 and 200 people in this room and about 80% of the people, uh, more than that, 90% of the people moved to one side of the room as me and my wife stood on the other side of the room and, and I was like maybe an untouchable, I don't know. And it was hard when the relationships close to my life started to walk away. And I found myself in this depression. It was dark, it was heavy and I was laying on a couch for a lot of the days. And I was still serving. I still had a, a ministry to do. There were still people around me, non-Christians, you know, maybe weak Christians, that I was doing my best in the midst of that season, just trying everything I could to continue to push on the fight. But when I came home, when I was in my private area, I was depressed on the couch. Grateful for my wife. She came by. She said, babe, it's okay. I didn't know how I was going to pull myself out of that season. In fact, I had tried to pull myself out of that season. I didn't want to be in that season. That season found me. I didn't go searching for that season. And some, for some reason, I couldn't pull myself out. And then I got a phone call from my friend Craig. I hadn't talked to Craig in, I don't know, it might have been a year, six months. I couldn't remember. Craig is the man that led me to Jesus years ago when I was 19. I was about 40 years old when this was going on. And I got a phone call from him, and, and we were just starting to talk, and, and he listened the whole time as I, just, as I just poured it out. And he called me back. And he let me pour it out again. And then he called me back again. Have you ever been on the other side of that phone call? It's draining. But he kept calling. And next thing you know, I got in the mail. I got this book in the mail. And he called me and said, hey, I, I called him. I said, I got this book. He said, I think it would encourage you. You might want to read it. So I read it. It was awesome. And then he sent me a little card and a little note. And he sent me another book. And we had these conversations. And we would pray together. And in that moment of my, in this dark season of my life where I couldn't pull myself out. And I needed God to save me. And that was my prayer. God sent me a brother. He sent me a brother. And man, I believe that the church needs brothers. More desperate than any season that I've been a part of since I've been alive. You know, they're calling this the season of loneliness. And that's so interesting, as we're the most connected that the world has ever been. We have social media. You can FaceTime across the world, not just call. It's not a calling card, and it doesn't cost you like $1,000, right? You can right now pull out that device in your pocket. You could FaceTime somebody, see their picture, and have a full conversation. We're supposed to be super connected. But what it's telling us is we're actually more lonely, more depressed, and more anxious than we've ever been, and that's men. It's actually hitting men harder. You know that the suicide rate in 2020 was four times higher for men than it was women. That the abuse of alcohol was at an all-time high. There was this one, uh, there's, 
I, I was doing research for this talk, and I looked at this one thing, and I thought it was so interesting. Uh, maybe I'll just look at my notes so I get it accurate, but it was talking about the difference between men that were in community and men that were outside of community, and it said those experiencing extreme stress, if you were in community, was 23%. If you were outside of community, it was well over 50 those who are experiencing extreme anxiety in community, 21% outside of community, well over 50. Those who are battling with depression in community, 14% outside of community, 46%. Community makes a difference. Friends make a difference. Brotherhood makes a difference. And there are men in our churches, in our community, in our culture right now that are so desperate. There's, I don't think today there's going to be a magic formula. I think it's it's simple, but it's not easy. And men are looking for brothers. Just like Jonathan and David, they're not finding it even within their own family. And so the church is supposed to be the family. So today I want to take a look at this relationship between Jonathan and David. And, and this is what I want to do. I, I, as I was studying the scriptures, all right, what I'd like to do is I'd like to lay out a simple map, a practice. And I think what happens is when you put these spiritual disciplines or these practices in your life, what's going to end up happening is you're going to crash into brotherhood. In the midst of this, you're going to find, like Jonathan and David did, an unexpected relationship that's probably one of the most meaningful relationships you'll ever have in your life, and it could save your life. So let's, let's dive into the scriptures. If you have a copy of it, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. We know the background. Spencer did a great job last night giving us a little background. Two warriors, two leaders. But I think most importantly, two men that were passionate for the kingdom of God. And I want to start off there. Now, I'm going to, my Baptist roots coming out, I'm going to give you three points. They don't rhyme because I'm not that good yet, but, you know, if you're a Presbyterian, I'm sorry I get a little excited, and if you're charismatic, then you'll probably appreciate that. Really simple. Number one, you'll find brotherhood when you lean into the mission of God. When you're active, you're active in the mission of God. 1 Samuel 18, verse 1. It says, As soon as he finished speaking to Saul, talking about David, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own. See, when you're living passionately for the mission of God, and you come across somebody else that is passionately living for God, you probably, you don't even have to know anything about them. But when you see the reality that these, this person is actually living and willing to sacrifice for the kingdom of heaven, your souls are immediately knit together. The suffering that you go through, the hardship that you go through, the victories that you go through, that all exists because you are actively involved in the mission of God. There is a bond that's created in the kingdom of God that is like nothing else on this earth. And if you want to find deep and meaningful relationships in your life, I encourage you, Get in the game to live passionately, to live actively for the gospel. That was Jonathan, right? 
step back a little bit. First Samuel 14, just give a little context. Starting in verse 6, it said, this is when Jonathan decided, you know what? Why is everybody afraid of the Philistines? Who's going to go fight them? So he grabs his arm bearer and he says, hey, come with me. Verse 6, it says, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let's go over to the garrison of, of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. See, this was a reflection of Jonathan's deep passion and trust for Jesus. He was willing to put his life on the line. It says, for nothing can hinder the Lord. That is a reflection of his deep faith. I'm telling you, you don't serve, you don't live passionately for Jesus unless you have faith, unless you have deep faith. It's not easy, it's hard. There's a real enemy, we're fighting a real battle, right? The devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, he's looking to destroy your life, to destroy our churches and our families. And so when you see somebody else that is in that battlefield, you know it's real. All right, so let's jump down to David. 1 Samuel 17, 36 through 37. I believe he's going to throw the, the verses up on the screen so you don't have to fit back, flip back and forth. But 1 Samuel 17, 36 through 37, it says, Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and these uncircumcised Philistines shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me. Again, there's his trust. There's his faith. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the, excuse me, the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. I think it's so funny. He said, okay, you go. This is just a snapshot of these two men and what they were already doing in their life before they found each other. Both men were so passionate for God, they were willing to risk everything on the battlefield. They were living the gospel. What does it look like for you to live the gospel? What does it look like right now for you to lay everything on the line for Jesus? I love this passage of scripture, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. And I think it's such, a, it's such a snapshot for me about what it looks like to practically live the gospel in our everyday lives. It says, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Basically, it's saying, listen, Jesus took his riches and he gave it to us and he he was willing to become poor for us so that we could be elevated, so that we could be drawn to God. I remember years ago when I went on one of my first mission trips to Kenya and, I, and we were going to northern Kenya. We were meeting these different men and there was this guy, Timothy, who, who was pastoring, uh, Timothy Kenwa, and he was pastoring like, I don't know, 30-something churches and we'd go by this tree in the middle of nowhere, and, and all of a sudden, all these, all these tribe people would come out, and we shared the gospel, and somebody came to Jesus, and we would go to all these different locations, and we met this guy, Paul Loqua, and I'll never forget, he used to sing, I love you, love you, Jesus, I love you, love you, Jesus. He wore this old suit. It was, pro- it was probably made somewhere in the U.S., like in the 1920s, I don't know, and he was in Kenya wearing this suit to go around and pastor, and I went to his hut, and it was made out of, out of dung, and there was 
like 20 or 30 kids from the AIDS crisis. And he just said, come to my house and live. And they dug a hand well. It was like, I mean, it was like this big. And they dug it by hand. And he said he, he tied something around the kids and they would lean them down and pull them up and lean them down and pull them up. We had this pastor's conference there and it was so encouraging just like this to see all these men living for Jesus and, and crying out. And we came back to the U.S. and I was so encouraged. And social media, we connected on Facebook and we still are connected to this day. But as soon as I met those brothers, I want you to know I was mm, connected. I didn't know them. We were from a completely different culture, the other sides of the world. We had almost nothing in common, but we had one thing in common, and that was Jesus. And by the end of that trip, we were, there was tears and hugging, and all I wanted to do was help to build that man up because he was my brother in Christ. I feel closer to him than I do some of my own family. See, that's what happens when you're living passionately for Jesus, that as you're on this mission, God is going to bring across other brothers. It could be maybe here at this conference. In one moment, you will find those deep and meaningful relationships that we all desire and need. So the question that I have for you, because I just wanted to be real, is there anything that's putting that fire out right now. It's hard to keep that fire stoked. I get it. I don't want to be just that pastor that comes up here and say, live passionately for Jesus. And you're like, man, there's some real life stuff happening. I get it. What's, what's trying to put that fire out? Because your brothers need you. Your brothers need you to stoke the fire. So if it's hurt and bitterness, can I just encourage you? Hey, uproot that. Have those conversations. Work through that in prayer. Is it that disappointment? You know, what is, what is putting the fire out? Can I just encourage you? Stoke that fire. The kingdom of God needs you. All right, number two. You'll find brotherhood when you're willing to put other men above yourself. You'll find deep brotherhood when you're willing to put other men above yourself. When you're willing to elevate the success of the kingdom of God above your own personal success. Let me say that one, one more time. When you're willing to put the success of the kingdom of God above your own personal success. And I promise you, if you're walking with Jesus, you're going to face that moment at some point in your life. 1 Samuel 18, verses 3 through 5. Let's catch up with Jonathan and see where he was. So after his soul is knit to David, it says, and then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of his robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul sent him over to the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. When your success is rooted in the kingdom of God, you're free. Right? When your success is rooted in Jesus, when it's rooted in God's kingdom, you're free. You'll be free to elevate others. You won't feel that 
jealousy, intimidation, insecurity, you'll be free. Any hunters in the room? Hunting season just happened? Yeah? How many of you would be willing to give your best rifle and your best bow mm -hmm, to somebody that you just met? This is prized possessions. They say, commentaries say, that this moment is the moment where Jonathan, who was heir to the throne, right, said, I don't know how God told him. I don't know how God told him that you're not the king, but David's going to be the king because he was in line for all that success, and he took that off, and he gave it to David. He gave him his, he's a warrior. He gave him his most prized possessions, he was willing to lift up David because he viewed the kingdom's success over his own success, and he was free. He was free. He wasn't missing out on anything. He was finding everything that he needed in Jesus, in the kingdom of God. So he was free to elevate David, to lift up the kingdom. And I promise you, we need more brothers in Christ to be elevated. We don't have an abundance of leadership in the kingdom of God right now, in our churches, in our culture. We need more men. But there's other men that are in your churches, in your communities right now that need to be elevated and lifted up, that need to be encouraged and need to be built. Somebody has to do it. Somebody has to lay down their own life to lift up other people. I love this passage. It said he stripped himself. He didn't wait for God to do it. He did it himself. He already had the humility built in him. Have you ever had somebody build you up, give you an opportunity? Are you in your career where you are today because somebody opened the door? Are you where you are today in Jesus because somebody pursued you, approached you, led you in Bible study, discipled you, taught you how to read the scriptures, taught you how to pray? I remember when I was a, a young pastor, I was in Cincinnati, Ohio, and <clears throat> there was this church across the way. I, 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 could, I was at a church of over a thousand people, when they introduced me as the pastor, and the pastor said, hey, I want you to come forward, and people are going to shake your hand. I came forward. This is a true story. One person after service came up and shook my hand. I was like, welcome. <laughs> I was the evangelism and sports outreach minister and pastor, and I was, I was just young, passionate for Jesus. I was about 24, 25 years old. I just came out of seminary. It was my first full-time position. And I saw this church across the way, and they were doing this thing. It was kind of popular years ago, but it's called Servant Evangelism. And they were just out everywhere in Cincinnati, on every corner, passing out bottles of water, giving out bread. They were doing free car washes. They were doing anything that they could for the gospel. They just wanted to be the hands and feet of Jesus. God had laid on the pastor's heart this idea, and they were just all over the place. And they were affected change in the city there was people coming to Jesus they had a reputation a little jealousy in the church like uh whatever you know but I didn't care I was like man if they're for the kingdom I'm for the kingdom people are coming to Jesus that's my team right 
So I decided, I was like, hey, I'm going to go over to this conference because I want to hear what's going on. So I listened to the conference, and I briefly, I think, I don't even know if I met Steve. His name was Steve Shogren. I just shook his hand, okay, and I remember I was at a Cracker Barrel, and I'm sitting there, and I think I was sitting there with a friend or, or maybe a girlfriend at the time. I can't remember, but Steve and this, this like, I don't know, eight or nine people came in and there was a table set up for them in Cracker Barrel and, and everybody was at the table and Steve walked in and they all stood up and like, like it was like president or something, you know what I mean? And, and then Steve sits down and then they all sit down. I was like, that's weird. You know what I mean? I'm just watching it or whatever, you know, and I, you know, I know he's the pastor of this church or whatever. And <clears throat> Steve catches me, he looks over, he goes, John, he goes, hey, man. He gets up from the table. He goes, what's going on? Da, 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 da. He's like, how are you? He's like, man, how's things going at the church? Blah, blah, blah. He said, hey, do you have, you have time this week? Let's go grab coffee. I was like, what? That was me? How do you know my name? And we grabbed coffee. And he was there answering any questions. And it's a funny thing is he didn't recruit me. He wasn't trying to use me. He was just there to build me up. I hadn't experienced that before. An older man that was willing to invest in me and lift me up and, and he wanted to see me successful in the ministry or whatever. He wanted to build me up as his brother in Christ and he's like, hey, let's pray together. He continued that relationship. That relationship had a huge impact on my life. How about you? Have you ever had somebody in your life that was willing to lift you up? Man, it's powerful. We all desire that, don't we? Sometimes you feel like you're navigating this world in a fog, and you're like, I don't know how to get there. And there's other people that have, you know, driven the same path, and you're like, can somebody tell me how to get there? We're looking for our brothers to step up and say, hey, I can show you. The passage of Scripture says, and David went out successful. Now I believe that God's hand was on David and that David and Jonathan's success was from the Lord. But I think what we're seeing here is how God will use men in their life, how God builds the kingdom and what it looks like when we're willing to put other people first, which is a reflection of the gospel, that that is the glue in the kingdom of heaven, in our brotherhood. And it wasn't just David's success. David was the next king. It was the kingdom of God's success. See, Jonathan was elevating the kingdom of God. So is there anything stopping you from elevating other people? What's stopping you from being that man in your church that just lifts other people up, that serves? Is there any jealousy fear, disappointment. Can I encourage you to lay that down? Can I encourage you to give that over to the Lord? Can I encourage you to lean into the success of the kingdom of God over your own? Because I'm convinced that in the midst of that, you're going to find those relationships, that purpose and that meaning that you actually long for. Okay, last one. Simple, not easy. You'll find brotherhood when you're trustworthy. 
You'll find brotherhood when you're trustworthy. We'll turn to 1 Samuel 20 if you have a chance to go back and read that story. But here's this moment, right? 1 Samuel 20, you find, you know, Saul is already pursuing. He wants to kill David. He's jealous. He wants to take him out. And so David knows that. Jonathan is kind of like a little bit more optimistic. And David, in the beginning of the chapter, is trying to convince Jonathan. He's like, you don't understand. Your dad wants to take my life. I am not safe there. And so they have this exchange. And Jonathan says, okay, hey, I'm going to give a pledge to you. I won't let anything, anything happens to you. Let it be on me right? You can trust me. And so he goes back and we catch up in the story. First Samuel chapter 20, 32 through 34 says, then, Sh- then Jonathan answered Saul, his father. And he says, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled a spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. Jonathan arose from the table with fierce anger, ate no food for the second day of the month. And he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. He was grieved for the kingdom of God. Jonathan risked his life in that moment. And so what happened was they had made this, this in, in the midst of this conversation they had earlier, basically Jonathan said, okay, he's like, here's how you'll know. This is how we'll communicate. You go hide in the field. If I shoot the arrows far, that means my dad wants to kill you, so you just take off. If I shoot the arrow close, that means you're safe, so you can come here. I promise you I'll do it. So David goes and hides in the field. He shoots the arrow far to communicate to David, hey, it's not safe here. You need to go. And then there's this moment, 1 Samuel 20, starting in verse 41. It says, as soon as the boy had gone chasing the arrow, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another David weeping the most. And then Jonathan said to David, go in peace because we have sworn the both of us in the name of the Lord saying the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And they rose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. See, they both were willing to risk their lives for the kingdom. But at this moment, David needed a brother. David's life was in Jonathan's hands. Jonathan could have went back, said, hey, David, this is where David is. Go and get him, bring him in, it's done. But instead, Jonathan not only risked his life before the king, but then risked his life again and shot the arrow. And David knew that. Imagine meeting a brother that was willing to put their life on the line for you. Now, some of us might have experienced that in battle, right? We see that in war, but what about in real life? I mean, that is real life, forgive me. I'm saying, what about at home today? Who are the men that are willing to put themselves on the line for other people? And where are the men in our churches that we can trust? I'm so tired of turning on the news or seeing on social media about another pastor that has fallen and that gets elevated and blasted all over the place, doesn't it? That's the story that gets traction. That's the story that goes around. That's the narrative of the church, that the church pastors and those Christians, they're not trustworthy. They're hypocrites, right? If you've been a Christian, you've heard that your whole life. The story that they're not gonna tell is about the brothers in the church right now that are having the private conversations with other men who are struggling, who are about to walk out on their families, who are about to step into things that they would regret for the rest of their life. But because they had those relationships and they opened up their lives were saved 
Their families were saved. Their churches were saved. That story is never going to be written. But the church needs brothers that are trustworthy. See, Jonathan was showing to David, I could be trusted. Hey, you can trust me. And David put his trust in Jonathan in this moment. And you know what it did? It created this moment where they were weeping because they, you, you don't find that. It's so rare to find men that you could trust. And in this moment, I know, you know, people try to abuse this passage of scripture, right? Because the ancient culture and how they said they kissed each other. And it, it's not that. That's a complete manipulation of scripture. It's talking about this, this, this closeness that is so rare that you almost never find on earth that is so powerful and special. But that's what the kingdom of God is created for. That's what we are here for. Brotherhood, deep, meaningful. We are giving our lives for the gospel. We should be there for each other. So the question I have for you is, are you a man in your church that can be trusted? Because there's other men that are looking for men that can be trusted. I have brothers in Christ that I call to talk about my struggles. I'm just going to be honest. In my journey, I, I, have to, I have to protect myself against sin. Anybody else? I have to guard myself against pornography. I have to protect myself against, you know, against alcohol and drug abuse. I come from a drug-addicted family. I lost a brother to an overdose. I lost another brother to prison and drugs and all that kind of stuff. I am prone to some things. And the only thing that keeps me strong is Jesus and the brothers and sisters that God has placed in the church. That hold us together. I have those calls on a regular basis. I say, hey man, I'm struggling with this. I wouldn't say, I'm not telling you to spread your dirty laundry out to anybody. See, there's a formula for deep relationships. And it's love plus trust. Right? We as Christians, we're called to love anybody that walks in the door, no matter what they look like, where they come from, what they've done in the past. You meet them for the first time, you're called to love them. That's the Jesus calling in our life. He says, we no longer view people the same way that we did before Jesus. We view them in two fashions, new creation and still needing to be a new creation. And so anybody that comes into our life, we're showing them the love of Jesus. But then after that is trust. And we're working these trusting relationships, drawing the men closer to us. And that circle gets smaller and smaller of those men in our life that you can trust with some of the darkest things in your life, some of those secrets, some of those things that are keeping us in bondage. Maybe it's just bitterness and anger. Who knows? Maybe your marriage is struggling. Who knows? Maybe you're just lonely. You're like, man, I know everybody thinks like I'm friends with everybody, but I'm really struggling. And you just need to have that conversation. But there's so many men in our churches that are looking for those conversations, but they're not doing it because they feel like they can't trust anybody. I wonder what it would look like if we were the men in our churches that other people can trust. That have integrity. I'm going to use something old school. That we became men of our word. When we told somebody that we would be there, we showed up. Jonathan told David, 
hey, I'll be here. And he showed up. Are you the man in your church that other people can trust? That nobody's going to write about? That you're not going to make the news? But it might be you and those conversations that save the church. All right, I'm going to close with this. So this is pretty, this is a little insight from this chapter. A lot of different commentaries talk about this, but you know, Jonathan was somewhere between 15 to 30 years older than David, is what commentaries say. Just think about that for a second. About 15 to 30 years older, the elder, the man that was in the position of authority, heir to the throne, already in the kingdom, already had everything that he needed, was wearing the robe, had the reputation, they were already singing songs about him. He had everything that he needed. He was older, elevated position of authority. And he's the one that went first. See, this relationship that happened, happened because Jonathan took that step. Jonathan stripped himself first. Jonathan risked his life in the kingdom. Jonathan was willing to elevate David. Jonathan, 20, 30 years old, heir to the throne, to David, a shepherd boy. The humility. See, maybe we, we're searching for these relationships and this friendship, and I know we need it. But maybe this, this, this brotherhood that you're going to find is going to be found in discipleship. Maybe it's going to be fo- found in mentorship. Maybe it's going to be found... When you're willing to invest in other people, younger, no authority, no glamour. See, both David and Jonathan found that brotherhood. They both experienced that. They were both in tears, finding that meaningful relationship for the kingdom of God. But it was Jonathan who led the way. It was Jonathan who was elevating the kingdom of God. So I'll close with this. Just three things. Can I challenge you and encourage you in your churches and wherever you are right now to lean into the mission of God? Be active. If that fire has been put out, stoke the fire. In our churches, we need to know what it looks like right? We, you, we use different language. Oh, he's on fire for God, but what does that mean? We need other men that are passionate for Jesus. That's why we love to come to Snowbird, right? To see these, these men that have been leaning into the kingdom of God for 25 years, passionately giving up their life for teenagers, for middle schoolers who ignore them and make fun of them and whatever, right? Build up other men in your community. Simple, not easy. Are you willing to put other people's success, are you willing to, to, to lift up the kingdom of God's success above your own to build other people up? And last, keep your word. Keep your word. We might be in a crisis of loneliness, but and, and I, I don't want to get all, I'm just going to do it. I don't care, whatever. Listen, 
The answer is the church. The loneliness crisis, the answer is the church. God has given us his church all over. You still go to these communities and cities and you drive through and there's a, there might be a church on every corner. Or maybe you're one of those cities where it's not on every corner, but you see the church building. That's supposed to be a beacon of hope. That's supposed to tell other men, hey, you can come in here and you can find the love of God. You can find men that are going to build you up and lift you up. You can find men that can be trusted even with your dark secrets because we're going to lead you to Jesus. And I wonder if the loneliness crisis that is happening in our culture, God is giving us as the church an opportunity to re-engage and reach men for the gospel that's going to transform the world that we live in. And he's looking for us, men. And he's looking for you. All right, let's pray. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.